0: Well, the world is aghast at Putin's attacks on Ukraine, and clearly he's not going to stop until he has a new puppet leader in charge. There are those who say he was provoked by talk of Ukraine joining NATO, as though having NATO on his doorstep would naturally mean that NATO, through Ukraine, would then attack Russia. Really? Then there's those who argue that Russia is restoring democracy from what Putin has called their Nazi leader. He's Jewish, by the way. All that from Russia, hardly a bastion of democracy. And those who argue that Russia is freeing the people, which really doesn't explain why the very people that they are freeing are fighting against his soldiers. All lame arguments, isn't it? Putin is evil and needs to be stopped, but how? And how much has economics got to do with where we are now, and how do we get out of it? I'm Phil Dobby. Steve Keene is joining me. It's the Debunking Economics podcast. Welcome along in what are very uneasy times, it's fair to say. Now, the answer to Vladimir Putin's aspirations to reclaim former parts of the Soviet Union seems to be that we in the West will impose sanctions on him. Now, we we could spend a long time getting into the nuances of whether he's right or wrong, justified or not, but let's instead... uh, just, you know, look at what the West proposes to do about it. I mean, personally, I think he's a raving lunatic with a midlife crisis in the extreme. But did those uh, those sanctions before work when Russia annexed Crimea in 2014? I mean, it's still in Russian hands. Nothing has changed there. Of course, remembering back to then, Russia said it was the result of a referendum that people chose to leave when 90 percent. Voted for reunification with Russia at the same at the same time, Putin was enjoying a ninety percent approval rating. It seems no matter what the question you get asked is, the answer is always going to be ninety percent. Perhaps the other ten percent got food poisoning. Who knows? Back then, the U.S. banned exports to Crimea, not to Russia, just to Crimea. And not a ban on imports. Even in 2014, when Russia had taken over Crimea, the US was still importing almost $24 billion worth of goods from Russia. Last year, with Russia still in Crimea, the US imported almost $30 billion from Russia. So it seems like we'll we'll impose sanctions so long as they don't hurt us. Uh, we still want to buy oil, gas, gold. They export $6 billion worth of gold to the UK each year. We could do without that, couldn't we? Wheat. Coal, Wheat prices have shot up this week, by the way. Coal, nickel, uh, platinum, palladium, which is uh, used for catalytic converters in cars. Steve, what would happen if we just made it illegal to buy stuff from Russia? I mean, we feel the hair. Inflation would go crazy, but it is anyway. Uh, but presumably, I mean, it would have impact, wouldn't it? It would bring Russia to its knees economically if we went far enough with uh, uh, with uh, w- all the stuff that we refused to buy and sell to <laughs> well, no,
1: I think... <laughs>
0: It depends how many of your feet you want to shoot off at once. I mean, the, the,
1: the reliance of, of of Europe upon Russian energy is, in, you know, is enormous, and um, uh,
0: and, and you know, I, to to and it's a huge it's a huge balance of trade uh, a deficit that for, for us. So I mean, they are exporting a great deal more than they're importing. So yeah, so I mean, as to who, who's going to win and who's going to lose. Yeah, I mean, your point, I think you're trying to make, is that we're the ones who are going to lose more than he is. Well, basically, I think this is something which uh,
1: the West is going to have very little chance to intervene in, in the same sense that uh, the East had very little chance to intervene in what America was doing in, in Afghanistan, was basically sit back and watch the popcorn. Um, it's, 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 this is similar. I mean, what, what Putin has said is, you know, do not c- come any nearer and the way he actually basically threatened the use of nuclear weapons. If any other external state intervenes, uh, the sanctions are difficult because you'd actually want to. You know, they said the reliance of of Europe upon Russian energy is is enormous, and there's no there's no easy way to bring pressure that might cause Putin to change his plans. So, um, in in some ways, I think what this is one where the West just
0: has to accept it's going to be on the sidelines. And he's got a positive balance of trade because they've had – for a long time. So they've got a lot of foreign currency reserves. But presumably they can't use them. I mean, if we're we're saying, well, okay, you can't trade in Mm. in, in dollars and pounds – it doesn't matter if he's got the money. Presumably that they're gonna find it very difficult to buy stuff using those reserves, aren't they? I'm not quite sure how this works. But I mean they've got the international reserves have gone from four hundred and seventy six billion dollars in january twenty nineteen to over six hundred and thirty billion. And supposedly he's been building up reserves. Just for circumstances like this, but if we make it illegal to sell to Russia, then those reserves are going to be a bit useless. Well, I mean, how effective do you make that illegal to sell to Russia? Mm.
1: Um, and then there's also there's all the usual ways that people can use involving barter trade, you know, three three cornered barter trade to get around restrictions like that. And the question is, to what extent would they bite? So uh, you know, I, I think this this is one time, and and the, the way that Putin has laid this out, it was quite emphatic. Uh, get out of the way and and let him and what the Ukraine does in response, of course, decide what happens here. Um, but it's uh, I mean I don't think I don't think it's starting from the point of view of sanctions, is the the right thing. I'm one. I'm, my my question is: What is Putin aiming to do? What is he trying to do uh, with this incursion? And uh, it's gone far beyond. I mean, I basically thought he was just posturing. I thought it was posturing to mm. I think we Ukraine. all Ukraine, do. "Do not join, do yeah. not join NATO." That was what I thought it was all about. Or maybe, or maybe, redundant. or maybe
0: just chip away. Perhaps a bit of that, and maybe just chip away at the edges. Well, I, you know, adding Crimea, Crimea you, you seem to accept that in the end. Uh, so here's a, a disputed territory. I'll take that, but not actually go for the whole country, which is clearly what this,
1: this is an invasion, and it looks like they're targeting Kiev. Yeah. So uh, you know, they actually intend decapitating the. Ukrainian leadership. If they do it, they may not succeed. Uh, but that, that it seems to be getting as extreme as that. So, like, I—it's it's amazing the emotions this generates. I'm getting people blasting me for posting anything which gives a bit of background on, on how did Russia get to this situation in terms of provoca- provocation from the West that has led to it. Um, but to, to me, I mean, there's no no doubt. This is just an imperialist response by by Putin, um, and we're. You know, a, lot, a lot of my attitude towards the way the, Rus- the West treated Russia was saying, look, for Christ's sake, Russia hasn't been communist for 30 bloody years. Why are you still got this big... You know why? Why continue provoking Russia when, when Russia is no longer an alternative social system? But it, what we this this is the, I, but, I think what this lays down is we're back in the world of big of big powers, mm. and it doesn't give a, it doesn't matter whether you've got a different or even the same political system as somebody else. It's big powers trying to impose their their uh, their their might. Uh, upon the rest of the world and certainly upon the countries that border them.
0: And Ukraine
1: classically borders Russia.
0: So but how has he been um, provoked in, in reality? Because like you, I'm getting comments as well whenever I post anything, yeah. which I, I'm, trying, I'm trying to be fairly neutral on all of this, even sort of like my, my finance podcast, which was just, just saying, well, all this all is all all what's happening. All how all how all are all all we provoking them? Well, let's go back. We've got to go back a few years, like about 30 or so years,
1: mm. and uh, go back to the, when, when the collapse of the Soviet Union occurred, and you know, the, 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 what, what happened with the collapse, uh, if you want to see economically why it happened, the best arguments come from Janos Kornai, who's a brilliant now, now deceased Hungarian uh, economist trying to explain why is it that socialist countries grow more slowly than, um, than capitalist countries. And his basic explanation was that uh, in a Soviet economy, even if you leave out the Stalin's of the world, you've got a system which grows more slowly than a capitalist one. And the logic was that uh, because you're trying to give as, as high wages as you can to your workers, and you're trying and you're trying to develop an economy normally too. you you don't we've never had a socialist country begin in an advanced country as as Marx himself thought they would. Um, You have a a country that is trying to develop and so every last sector of the industry deserves to get resources and therefore the demand for resources to grow is more than 100% of the available resources consequently every section of the economy gets rationed and when you're operating under a rationing scheme and you don't have any competition so You've got you know large monopolies producing. You know there's a bike, there's a motorcycle company rather than a motorcycle industry. Um, mm. Then you uh, the Inefficiency way to make sure. Huh? Inefficiencies building in that way because you. Well, it's, it's more than inefficiency. That's what what happens is that you you simply don't have the supplies you need to produce your output. You've got a target you know you can't meet. So two things happen. One is that you simply. You don't innovate. You put all your resources into producing what you produced last year, so innovation goes out the window. And then secondly, to be able to get some of the supplies you know you need because you've been told to produce an output level you know you can't reach, you're willing to buy stuff that falls off the back of a truck. Right. And what you start getting is a mafia that links the um, uh, the different you know, hobbled – um, production units of a Soviet economy and at the same time the workers who are being paid in wages, which are, the wages are generous but the goods aren't there to buy, so you find yourself queuing, you get the classic outcome of this Russian joke goes they pretend to pay us and we pretend to work and what you get out of that is a, a stultified economy. So this was the opposite of what the Soviets expected. They thought they'd get a booming economy. Of course, they'd be building the means of production and growing more rapidly than the West. Mm. But that was their mentality. Anyway, what the long-term outcome was that the, you know, rather than uh, the, if you might remember, there was back in, this is going back even further, the 1962 or 60, was it was a 62 or 61 speech by Khrushchev in the United Nations where he got out his shoe and banged the table to make emphasis we we will bury you. And what he meant was we will bury you in under a wave of consumer goods because our approach to industrialization is more effective than yours so we're going to produce far more goods mm. and there'll be workers in the West who will be clamouring to move to the East where there's more, uh, where the, work, the living standard of the working class is higher. So that, well, that was a total... It didn't yeah. work for them and then
0: Yeltsin... Total failure, yeah. Yeltsin yeah. tried to take it the other way. So, uh, through, so through all of this, what, where was the provoking coming from, from the West? Well, um, for a start, they, it, it, it's actually twofold
1: and there's... It, it, people i would recommend people take a look at um i'll put a post up called some russian background um uh on 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 the patreon site and one of them is called the genesis of genesis of putin expanded and i just want to go and take a look at some, some tweets there because uh what i was actually giving a tour of the homes of russian oligarchs in london um back in 2017, 27th of April, <laughs> 2017, to be precise. And I made a couple of remarks about um, Jeffrey Sachs, because Jeffrey Sachs is one of the many American economists who at the time, and I must emphasize, he's completely changed his mind now, and he regrets his involvement in the whole process. But these neoclassical economists saw the collapse of the Soviet Union as vindication of their theory of capitalism. Mm. It wasn't just a capitalism one, their theory one. And their theory said the best way to make a transition from socialism to capitalism was to do it quickly, cold turkey. And the result was they, they, they talk, spoke in favour of what they call shock therapy. So the idea was to abolish all price controls overnight, which is what they did mm. ultimately. And I, I was just going to give a quote from here because um, Sachs has completely changed his mind. He said, uh, he's too long, I guess this is a quote from the... From the um, Link I've I've put up to an old paper of mine. He still argues that the rapid transition could have worked. This is Sachs, but he says that by rapid he meant over five to ten years with rules and law. Now, when you read his writing, I'm thinking, I'm sorry, he's making a very flattering reading of his own own writings because one one of the uh, lines he used at another stage was sending up people who are talking about a slow uh, movement from from one. system to another. This is Jeffrey Saxon nineteen ninety two. As one wit has put it, if the British were to shift from left hand side drive to right hand side drive, should they do it gradually, say by just shifting the trucks over to the other side of the road in the first round? Mm. In other words, an argument for you know overnight trans trans
0: transformation. So he was part of that. Right. Even though he now regrets it. And, and when you look at what happened And you know, so obviously to all of that, there's something wrong with the pricing mechanism as you move things from state control into but There is no program. pricing
1: there is no pricing mechanism. And this is the point. Yeah. I mean, there's all this fantasy about a rapid move to equilibrium, and that's a quote from an, not from Sachs, but from another mainstream economist. Mm. There, there was no
0: market, okay? You,
1: yeah. know, you, you had rationing systems fundamentally. Um, so but the I mean, the, the, the
0: value of the, of the assets as they get passed on, as they come from state control into the hands of what would become the oligarchs who made a lot of, a lot of money. A lot of them were, mm. were, were no, had no net worth, really, to speak of. They were just part of the, uh, the yeah, Russian the, old the, the, the boys' network.
1: network. But I'm talking, what what I'm talking on is is what actually happened in that period when Yeltsin was in control, mm. when Americans were pushing for a rapid transition for the Russia from socialism to to, to capitalism. Uh, it it ended up destroying, you know, Soviet productive capacity dramatically and causing famine. So my experience of that was when I was in Russia in 2011 and I was talking, I was actually invited to what's called the Russian University of Humanities. It used to be the place where they used to train the uh, apparatchiks in, in the days of, of um, the Soviet Union, but is now a University of Humanities. And we're talking about our departments <clears throat> and my Russian counterpart said that his department used to have more academics before the transition. And I asked him what happened to those who had left. And I vividly remember this because you were walking through a street in Moscow at the time. And he sort of took a step back and the street, leaned back on one foot and looked at me querulously and said, they died. I went, what? And he then said, well, the the, the deregulation began on the 2nd of January 1992 and you have a huge New Year's Eve party over in in Russia so you're you're getting up after New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, you're still pretty hung over and you find that all prices have quadrupled, incomes have remained the same Mm. so the only people, the people who survived that had links with the countryside now when you look at what Sachs had to say about this period, he said he went in believing they should have a rapid transition because he was accepted as being, uh, you know an intelligentsia type to help the uh, the, the political types in Moscow, uh, in, in, in Washington, navigate the, the transition in Russia, he said he got inside there and found the State Department was determined to destroy Russia. Using this transition, they they didn't care that it was going to destroy industry. The fact that it was a good idea. Right. So this is. But things went weakening. great before. So is that what you tra- is that is that where Putin is looking back to? Then, yeah, He's looking- Putin comes in because at that stage, Putin had become. I've forgotten how Putin got into direct power, but he would become sort of a, an offsider of Yeltsin. Yeah, and then when well, he was through the KGB, was that, he was in the KGB, wasn't he? Of course, he was in the KGB, and he ended up getting elected. A long set of stories about that, but, but he came in as a as this true a you know, tough man and saw the. clown of Yeltsin Mm. and then drove Yeltsin, when Yeltsin got driven out, took over and then wiped out the small level, the the low level mafia corruption, which had really permeated the whole of Russian society and uh, reversed the decline that Russia was going through that the Americans had hoped would be terminal.
0: Yeah. So, so, so but, 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 yeah. but why, is, why is Putin blaming the West for all of this? So, I mean, okay, they, I mean, they were in a position where you know, as you described, where socialism wasn't working. There was, uh, there mm. was, there, there wasn't the capacity to produce. There wasn't the incentive for workers. There wasn't uh, any path for uh, for the evolution of any of any trade. It was, uh, it was a stagnant economy, basically at best. So, something had to change uh, by their by their own merits. They see the idea. Well, okay, maybe we need to you know, give a, at least partial try to capitalism, but it was handled badly. Uh, the oligarchs and, you know, the chums of, of those people in power, the ones who acquired most of the assets, they became incredibly rich. Why is Putin blaming the West for that? Because, I mean, that's something... Oh, no, the, the West set it up. I mean, the, the the amateurish attitude about the transition is
1: what led the mafia to taking over most of Russian industry. Mm. If you'd actually had intelligent Americans, and they do exist, saying that, you know, the, the only reason that the Soviets System holds together as the mafia doing the back of the truck transitions between one factory and another to enable them to meet their their targets as best they can. Uh, if we sell too quickly, the oligarchs take. It, let's sell slowly, or let's sort of the workers cooperatives, or you know, let's let's bring in a transition slowly, just like the Chinese have done. The Chinese attitude when the Americans told them the same thing about you know you don't jump a. a, a um, the, the, the analogy the Americans would often use is you don't jump a, a canyon in, in two leaps. And the attitude of the Chinese was no, you cross it on the floor uh, of the canyon, one step by one step through the river, putting your feet in, in the water, trying to find the next stone. Um, so the Chinese took a gradual approach, and and, and deliberately so. Whereas the Ru- Russians are pushed into a rapid transition. And there, I don't think there's any contest in saying which country worked more successfully. No. So, so the so- the antagonism towards America in Russia over this that that's
0: one of the foundations. But why would in that case when we start looking at you know. Sanctions that we can introduce. Why would everyone be jumping at saying, "Well, okay, let's go after the oligarchs"? I would have thought the oligarchs, the people who were, you know, in with Yeltsin and uh, and, and were the ones who, because you know, oligarchs are making a lot of money now. They're they're living off the money that they inherited from the nineties by, uh, you know, by the land grab or you know for for assets, state assets that were being sold off. So they did well out of that. Yeah, uh, Putin's not going to care about those people, is he? Because that comes from an era that oh, where Putin's everything went.
1: He's, he's established his own
0: hierarchy internally, and yeah. that's
1: you know. He's, but the oligarchs uh, are
0: not are not his friends, surely. You know those people who are. If if we go after, you know, all those who've got nice big houses in London or London Grad, as it's sometimes called, many of them now U, U, UK citizens. I mean, that horse is bolted. There's nothing. I, 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 and is is he really going to care? He, he's not going to. He's going to go. Well, the, the, these people made a lot of money out of a bad time in our history. I don't care what you do with them. Well, often. They're, they're now his supplicants.
1: I mean, it's mm. you know he, one of the things he he, he, he got away from uh, diversified corruption to centralised corruption. That's that was the a major part of what he's done. But it's, it isn't. I'm not talking about the sanctions. We're talking about uh, how seeing how ham-fisted diplomacy mm. has led to Putin making a move that nobody else thought he would do, which is classic imperialism. Now, the no two ways about it. Yeah, but. The, 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 the Russians never wanted, because you've always had you know, Europe versus Russia, we go back to the Napoleon and you've got you know, examples of, of Europe, European power trying to subjugate the Russians. Uh, Russian or Soviet, they wanted to have a buffer between them and the West. And the idea was that the ex-Soviet uh, states, including Ukraine, but you know, Estonia, all the all the states that used to be part of the Soviet Union, which weren't part of the Russian Federation, they wanted those to remain neutral. Now, Ukraine is, was talking about joining NATO, and that would mean, therefore, there was an—you know—it shouldn't have to be hostile. Apparently, at some point, Putin actually asked Clinton about joining NATO, Russia joining NATO, and frankly, that should have happened. Uh, but they the the, the the American attitude that Russia is an imperial opponent has made them behave that way uh, or set it up the said justified behaving that way in any case so what what you now have is Ukraine trying to join NATO apparently weapons uh, you know, a lot of weapons sending up from NATO countries not necessarily NATO uh Governments, but NATO countries turning up in the Ukraine as well, being used against Russian enclaves in in Ukraine mm.
0: uh, to defend Ukraine. Uh, and, and, I, mean, uh, I mean, there's no, there's uh, to defend Ukraine. I mean, okay, there's disputed territories, but they are part of a uh, of an elected government. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, uh, it, it, yeah, it's. it's, it's, it's yeah, it's, um, it's, they uh, are not invading Russia.
1: I, I mean, it, yeah, they're invading themselves. Yeah, it's it's an internal. It's just what you could see as a civil war yeah. of some sort. So, but what you've got is uh, is, the, I, I think if there had been an agreement that Ukraine would not be asked to or allowed to join NATO, then you could have had it sitting there as a neutral buffer between Russia and uh and europe and now because they so said we want you want ukraine to join nato um that's where i thought Putin was playing a bluff and saying you know get just withdraw that offer but now he's gone beyond bluff he's going to he's just not relying upon diplomacy you know the old saying diplomacy is continuation of war by other means mm. well this is war as a continuation of diplomacy by other means so he didn't expect uh, he didn't trust the west the europeans to do anything uh, which would be to his satisfaction. So he's doing it himself, he's invading the country, and it looks like he intends uh, at least partitioning it. Um, the, the fear I have is that he, I mean, if he tries to control it, I think it would be have to, have to be a disaster in the long term for Ukraine and for Russia and for Europe. So we really don't know what's going to happen Well, next. he's
0: clearly wanting to get his own puppet government in there, isn't he? I mean, that's what, uh, I mean, I, I don't think he wants to kill many people. He just wants to get in, uh, get in uh, take control Put a puppet leader in there uh, talk about having a, uh, a a fake general election maybe in five years after things have settled down and the question is what does the West do? Probably exactly what they well, did they, exactly what they did with Crimea which is actually bugger all really No,
1: I think it's actually more likely Afghanistan because the last time Russia did actually make an imperialist move it was in, into Afghanistan in '79 mm. and uh, ten years later they were driven out uh, they, they couldn't subjugate the Afghanis. So um, my, my worry would be that if Putin actually is trying something like that, then you're going to have guerrilla warfare inside Ukraine, um, a, a, a war of attrition that I don't think the Russians could, could win in the long term. I don't know. I'm not a military person. But... Um, that is what I would fear happening, and Russia and then, gets
0: Russia gets frozen out from the global economy at that some point. I mean, it'd be interesting to see how mm-hmm. China reacts to to all of this. But you should imagine China. I mean, it doesn't sort of stand well with the ethos of China too much,
1: does it? Well, China, China has actually come out and made all the similar points that I'm making, saying that Americans have provoked this situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you, and that's and, and not that's not the same it. as supporting it, though. I mean, uh, d- oh no, 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 no. no the, Amer- the Americans, this is this is you know, ham-fisted diplomacy, isn't isn't. Isn't a case of you know nefarious behaviour; it's stupid behaviour. And uh, but but this is you know quite a brutal response by Putin. And uh, you know nobody knows what his next move is. If I had to think, what the the most the 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 least worrying move would be to partition off the two parts of uh, attempt to partition off the two parts of Ukraine, which are uh, distinctly. Russian majority. So you've got a there's two provinces that are you know if you look at the the map of Ukraine, uh, it's the they've got the right hand extreme is mainly Russian. You're you the, know the Donbas region, which is yeah, heavily Russian, yeah. yeah. So, but but my, but I think you, see, you know I'm looking at the river running through them, thinking you know. Well, they actually try to put the Nyipah River as the border between
0: Russia and uh, and Europe. But the fact that they have separatist either. fighting doesn't doesn't mean that that region necessarily should should go to Russia. That would be a bit like saying, well, there are Republicans in Northern Ireland, so the uh, so the Republic of Ireland, you know, it's fair game for them to invade Northern Ireland. I mean, it's... Yeah, I know. I'm not
1: saying, saying anything right about it. I'm saying
0: mm. this is now looking at geopolitics and trying to think what yeah. the hell is going to happen next. I mean, but if, it, if, uh, if, 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 if this goes on for a long time, I, I mean, I suspect the West is going to try and freeze out. You I mean that word "freezing out" was mentioned a couple of times by Putin and Boris Johnson yesterday? Or actually, squeezing out the uh, the uh, the economy is what they talked about. So you know, I mean, like the idea of do they uh, do they stop international settlements? Do they stop any trade in? Um, uh, in in pounds and, uh, and and US dollars, do they stop exports of uh, various things, technologies, which is going to help uh, their their economy to the, the Russian economy to develop? Uh, are any of those things going to work? And then obviously, what they do with the oligarchs and uh, you know properties or uh, money that they've got sitting in in London bank accounts, they freeze those. Uh, I mean, are, are any of those things really going to work? And and I mean, if we stop buying uh fuel from uh from Russia obviously we're going to feel the hurt short term but long term we'd find alternatives and Russia would lose its uh you know its export stream so it becomes an isolated economy and, it, and what happened after the uh, the the sanctions after Crimea um they became more self-sufficient in many ways. for example, they were buying a lot of uh, food from overseas. they just produce mm. more food locally. I mean the only thing they can't do is berries, apparently everything else uh, you yeah. know we, yeah. we, we buy a lot of wheat from them so we're, we'll, we'll be eating less breakfast cereal uh, you know well,
1: but, but that, that's but actually one of the one of the issues. Of Ukraine's of the Ukraines was actually regarded as the bread basket of Europe. so mm. it, you know, it is quite I mean have you've you been to the Ukraine? Ukraine? No, no, no. Yeah. One of the spectacular things you're seeing that river running through them, it's gigantic. Uh, I've been to Kiev and, and, and you stand there to see how enormous it is. And it literally divides the country in two. And one thing that which, I mean, if you look at it, it doesn't divide Ukrainians in two. There's the, the, the Russian majority is obviously on the on the east side of the river, but there's a fair slab of, of Ukrainian uh, territory on the Eastern side as well. I would, I hate the thought, but I I wouldn't be amazed if Putin is thinking, well, that's, that's a good physical barrier between
0: Europe and Russia. And, uh, but what do we do and, about and that? Can we mm-hmm. isolate? I mean, do we isolate Russia if if he reaches a point and he stops and we say, "Well, okay, we're still not happy about this. We don't want to play ball. We don't want Russia to be part of the international community anymore." I mean, the the one thing that uh, you know was said this week uh, was that you know we don't want this to be forgotten. We don't want it to be sort of like a uh, you know sanctions that gradually get eased. It's like he's done it now. We we've got to take this seriously, and we're not going to have a creeping return to normal. So, I mean, they are talking about isolating Russia. I'm just wondering, can you do that? And how would Russia respond? If you isolated Russia, Russia would become more self-sufficient. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? They, they, the economy obviously would suffer because it's not going to progress without uh, international trade and uh, international expertise. Uh, if they disconnect them from the swift banking system, for example, it's going to be you know very hard to do interbank transfers. It's going to be very hard for the economy. To to even you know exist internationally, you could go further. You could say, well, let's disconnect them from the internet. You know, let's stop. Let's make it internet exchanges. Make, it, well, it's, make it's, it... it's,
1: an, it's another death. It's another death knell for globalization. You yeah. know? Because you like the, the if you did last week's vision was Europe gets its energy from Russia. <laughs> this week's vision is Europe has to find another source of energy, which means you've got to look either to other fossil fuel supporters, producers like bloody Australia, mm. uh, or you start doing as rapid a transition as you can to non-carbon-based energy sources, right. and and squeeze it out that way. because one of the one of the weaknesses of Putin, uh, without a doubt, is that the Russia really has relied upon its mineral exports; it hasn't, it hasn't industrialised uh, to the scale that you would have. Uh, imagined he would have as an ambition uh, since he took over. So you don't have, uh, you know, Russian industry progressing in leaps and bounds. That, by the way, is a quote from Stalin. Um, but you don't have it happening under under Putin. So in that way, they're dependent upon, if you know, the level of prosperity, you know, Russians currently feel that this, they're dependent upon the fossil fuel exports. And if those seesaws suddenly start rapidly declining, then you're going to have a, a stultified standard of living in, in Russia, not not a growing one. But in some ways, everything with global warming coming away, well, you need self sufficiency. So it might not be a bad.
0: Uh, but an, iso- but, but, for but an isolated country that has been, you know, part of the world that gets isolated, do they go? Well, hang on a second. Why is this happening? Do they look to Putin, or do they look to the rest of the world and say, well, you know, they've treated us badly. We need to show our strength. And there's Putin saying, well, we have got, you know, over 500 intercontinental ballistic missiles and, uh, you know, we can, which are just 20 minutes away from the UK. Mm.
1: I mean, I, I wonder about the domestic Russian reaction to this. From what I've seen from Russian friends of mine, you know, uh, seeing on Twitter and so on, people are not happy. <laughs> just, mm. This is not what they expected Putin to do. And there's a
0: level of protest in, in Russia you would not normally expect. Um, so that's so the there's, that's there's, what we have to hope is the outcome of, of all of this somehow. I'm Not quite sure how. I mean, there's been mm-hmm. there's been protests in the streets. Those protesters have been pretty quickly put in prison uh, in Moscow. Uh, but I guess if the uh, it, it, if it becomes loud enough and there's enough people, uh, then there could be an overthrow. I mean, maybe there will be another. Yeah, you know, they got form. Maybe there'll be another Russian revolution. I don't think of a Russian revolution. But I, I, I just to me.
1: The idea of trying to subjugate a country the size of the Ukraine, um, it just you know, again, I'm not a military person. I'm talking through my hat on this front, but I simply can't see it working. The only thing I could see working is mm. is a short, sharp incursion, uh, cut off, and try to legitimise hanging on to two or three provinces that are predominantly Russian. Pull out, uh, and then and then and and, and and then say neutrality or invasion again. Um, as a way of saying, "Well, don't join NATO and um, and and try to contain um, um, the Ukraine that way." But this, I mean, I, whatever way it goes, it's you know. I used, to laugh, I used to laugh about Americans fighting Russia as if they were fighting the Soviet Union. But this really is a leap back to the days of the nineteenth yeah. century and great powers. So we've definitely now got Russian imperialism versus American imperialism
0: uh, with European. Um, well from COVID, from covid to not, you, from covid to cold war isn't it that's where we're back there again that's where we are so uh, yeah, and no. and do we uh, so the question i asked at the beginning i don't feel like we've answered it which is actually what i wanted to talk about it's all been very interesting mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but, but but are these sanctions going to make any difference whatsoever i or don't do? think they will
1: I mean, so sanctions. Uh, if you if you look at the the boycotts that applied with Russia with uh, the, with South Africa, they did have an impact. They did lead to Mandela being you know, let out of prison and ultimately becoming the the country's ruler. Um, so you can isolate a country uh, in some ways, um, but you've got to be able to target a social group to do that, and the, it has to fall upon that social group. And the the, the sanctions that were imposed upon South Africa did fall upon the, the whites. It did make them suffer more than the, the blacks. It forced them to negotiate negotiating table, and it led to that reform. So they can work in some circumstances. But the thought that this is going to hit... Um, you know, the oligarchs alone or Putin alone versus the rest of the Russian people. That's why I just, I just can't help but be sceptical that they would actually work that way.
0: And Britain, of course, has been very happy to take a lot of this uh, this money obtained by these oligarchs who have been buying up their houses in London, uh, buying up football clubs. Not necessarily, of course, Roman uh, Abrovich, uh, you know, the, who owns Chelsky uh, uh, Football Club, got a net worth of 15000000000 billion. I'm not saying he's an oligarch. He just didn't have any money before he became a friend of Boris Yeltsin's uh, and and uh, just coincidence, perhaps. <laughs> uh, but you know, we've taken all of this money. We've you know, people have invested in property in London. And there's like a question for another day. But I mean, you've got to look at assets that are bought for, within your own country. I mean, let's do this as another podcast. Should should foreigners actually be able to buy assets in your country? Should they be able to buy houses? Should they be able to buy farmland? Uh, should they? Yeah, and
1: be- I'm definitely a favour of limitations on that. You yeah, you need a certain amount of it because there isn't an international um, you know community. Uh, people who are you know, natives for one country who are living in another for some substantial period, but you don't want half a billion housing to be sold that way, and that's and that's what ends up with the sort of you know money laundering effect we get in London with the the Russian oligarchs.
0: Mm. Uh, Hmm. So so the interesting thing as well is, you know, I I, I just touched on it. Uh, If you really wanted to cut Russia off, if that was the end game, I don't know why we don't say. I mean, I don't know how many internet exchanges there are in the world, but it's certainly manageable. If you say to uh, to you know to all the countries in the West uh, and you know allied nations, just no cables coming here from Russia. Just just do not take any interconnect arrangements. Don't, don't take any Russian traffic. I mean, the internet being what it is, of course, uh, you know, there's always ways around it. But the capacity links through those uh, through those alternate routes would be pretty slim and would pretty quickly get overburdened. So you'd have very slow internet traffic from Russia. They would be cut off from the, the West and uh, would solve a lot of the problems with all these uh, denial of service attacks, which would be squeezed over very thin pipes through obscure routes around the world. No one's talking about that, but that just seems like a, a logical way to go as well. I mean, the stuff that can be done.
1: Mm, yeah, that, that is one avenue that didn't exist thirty years ago, definitely. But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is is a weird situation to be watching because this is the last thing you expected was you know large power rivalry leading to military conflict uh, in twenty twenty two. But here know. we have it, and um, and then the, of course we're all the you know, dependence upon of. Europe on Russian gas and the building of new gas pipelines, which is now being blocked. Um, You know, it's... uh, And then can the Europeans build the power alternatives they need fast enough? Uh, It's a mess.
0: Can we uh, just... Get him a nice car and, uh, you know, a hot blonde and a, and a waterfront apartment in Malibu. I mean, you know, which is no- normally what people want in a midlife crisis. Can't we just give him all those things and say, surely this is much better than uh, waging war on the world? I'm making light of the situation, but you've got to think. But but, indeed, but, yeah. but but it's, it's like one man and he seems to be driving an agenda and, and you know, which is driven by well, very is, ancient history mistake, now.
1: It's a mistake to see it as one man. It's one culture. Uh, in the sense of Russian Russian attitude towards the West, and uh, I mean having I spent a fair bit of time in Romania for a while for reasons of a crazy relationship, um, but one thing you realise when you spend a bit of time in that part of Europe is that these the, the middle sections, which Ukraine is clearly part of, have been invaded from one side and the other for. Centuries, millennia, and you get a mentality that builds up about keeping the foreigner out or defining your own little region. Like Romania didn't become the country of Romania until I think about 1850. It was it was for, right from the Romans when it was when it was part of um, uh, I think what they I forgot what they actually the, the the last major group the, uh, the Russians the Romans subjugated. Um, they they have been. Um, you know, invaded from one side to another and only finally get their identity in the middle of the 19th century. Mm. And the similar thing for Ukraine, you, uh, you're paranoid about being invaded from one side or the other. And in some ways, the only solution, um, is to make a, a, a set of neutral states. Uh, the Switzerland has made itself, uh, that is neither aligned with neither the West nor the East. And that was, I think, what should have been the objective of American and European diplomacy, to accept this buffer with Russia, rather than pushing uh, NATO right up to the very border of Russia. Uh, Now that they've done it, Putin has come right back and said, you're going to push with diplomacy, I'm pushing with military might and we now have an invasion and a war and uh, and and you know, God yeah. knows how long this thing could last forever I mean, now this, so where's NATO
0: where's NATO gonna I mean you know, you're thinking well why would it, why would they want NATO there they'd want NATO there to try and stop a Russian invasion Russia is saying well we don't We're want invaded NATO. already if yeah already, like. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know and Russia's saying well we don't want an invasion from you, you look you look at past form who's most likely to invade who but what it what it does mean is that you know we are going to have you know a, a step away from this interconnected world and, uh, you know, which uh, Brexit was one example, you know, we are all now just uh, uh, putting our walls up and uh, sticking to our own territories and, uh, and, you know, more self-sufficiency, perhaps less international trade, which has been questioned now because of COVID as well. All of a sudden, you know, self-sufficiency rather than internationalisation seems to be the, uh, the catch cry of the 21st century.
1: It will be, whether for good reasons or bad, and this is, this is clearly one of the bad reasons.
0: Uh, not an enjoyable conversation ever, is it, really, because we really don't know how it's going to no. go. Uh, look, <laughs> we'll have a bit more fun next time. Uh, so I want to talk about crazy tax, because uh, I've I've seen a few. I've been mm. subjected to a few. Uh, we'll We'll look at the whole tax question next week. Good to talk, Steve. Okay. And let's hope this chapter in our lives passes by relatively quickly. That's it for today with the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keane. I'm Phil Dobby. Back again next week. Thanks for listening.
1: Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much.